0: Welcome to another episode of Investing Compass. Before we get to this episode, a quick note that the information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It doesn't take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. In previous episodes, we've talked about the difference between active and passive investing. We've provided definitions, talked about what situations lend themselves to one approach or another, and tried to point out that most portfolios would probably benefit from a combination of both strategies. Today, however, we're going to take a dive a little deeper into passive investing.
1: Wow, Shani, that was an all business start to this thing. <laughs> all right, I, I feel like I have to follow your 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 cue now. We're so very,
0: this is very serious, Mark.
1: Passive investing,
0: yeah,
1: it it is very serious. Anyway, we'll just get into it. Um, so proponents of passive investing have gotten a little bit evangelical about it. So if you listen to those hardcore proponents of passive, you'll learn that passive investing can do no wrong, and there's no reason to ever consider a different approach. And this episode is not about us going to bat for passive investing or for active management. Regardless of either strategy, passive funds are winning the funds under management wars. And that just means how much money is flowing into the funds. So, what we're going to do this episode is we're going to focus on what's happening as passive investing continues to rise and the impact it's having on all investors and what it will likely have on the market.
0: Yeah, so today we're going to talk about a couple of very specific risks that are associated directly with passive investing. We believe many passive investors have a bit of a blind spot and we're going to talk about it. As investors, we can reasonably expect markets to perform the way that they have in the past when there has been such a pronounced shift from active to passive investors. If we can't, what is the impact of this shift? We're also going to talk about the risk to investor portfolios if we're at an inflection point in the market and what the implications are to passive investors.
1: All right. So, let's start with the impact of the increasing prevalence of passive investing. So, before we get into the specifics, let's talk about something I think that's pretty underappreciated and that's how pronounced this shift is. So, in the last 10 years, so basically since the GFC – U.S. market, 45% now of all assets are passively managed for stock-based funds, and it was 25% just 10 years ago after the GFC, as I said. So passive continues to rise as many investors disregard active options due to poor performance and higher fees.
0: So first, let's start with the efficient markets paradox, which is that markets can only be efficient if there are large numbers of investors actually believing it's inefficient. In other words, it's the idea that there must be a large number of active investors who believe that the market is inefficient and act upon that for efficiently functioning capital markets.
1: Yeah. So in this scenario, active investors continue to trade because they think assets are mispriced. And because of this, in theory, the price of each security will reflect the market's understanding of its true value.
0: So passive investors, on the other hand, they don't make these decisions. There is no attempt by passive investors to assess the fair value of a security and rely on the assumption that all other investors have done the legwork to assess the correct fair value. If we get to a point where everyone is investing passively, this will break the link between price and fundamentals. And what does this mean?
1: Yeah, so in a previous episode, we covered the fact that price and value don't always match. So if you search for Amazon, for example, you can find out its price, and that price will fluctuate as people trade shares. Price will move up and down, and these fluctuations are mostly based on short-term market noise. Ultimately, though, these trades are happening not just on some ticker you see in your brokerage account or on something you Google. These are trades where people are actually exchanging shares – for money. And these shares represent an underlying business, a business that would not have its value fluctuate in the same way day to day. So price and value can be very different things.
0: Yeah. And in the long term, it's the performance and value of the underlying business that will influence the stock price. So Ben Graham, who wrote The Intelligent Investor, he famously said, in the short run, the market is a voting machine, but in the long run, it's a weighing machine. And what he meant by this was that voting machines deal with expectations day to day, but the weighing machine in the long run deals with the actual economic benefits provided to the owners. So very simply put, Graham is saying that the price and value of an equity may deviate significantly over the short term, but eventually it'll ins- intersect.
1: Yeah, and this is where it doesn't really work if everyone is a passive investor. So that intersection doesn't exist anymore and the link between price and fundamentals break. And in a way, This is the point of passive investing, right? Because proponents of passive investing say that for day-to-day investors and most professionals, it's just too difficult to assess the underlying value of a share, tune out all this market noise, overcome the behavioral impediments to successful investing, and to beat the market. And so that's kind of the irony of passive investing. Although passive investors like to look down on active investors, they need them to assure the market is functioning. Because without active investors, something else drives the market. Big companies do better than small ones and continue to get bigger. And they just do better as passive investors are sort of blindly shoveling money into the markets.
0: And the reason for this is pretty simple. So the vast majority of passive indexes are market capitalization-weighted, and that means that bigger stocks represent more of the index. And this is why more of your passive dollars are being added to the biggest companies than the rest of the index. And this causes those large companies to make up more of the index, which means that more of the next dollar that goes into the index goes into the same larger companies. So on August 9th, 2011, Apple became the world's largest company by overtaking ExxonMobil, So, Apple was worth $337 billion that day, and today it's worth $1.9 trillion. So, in 2011, Apple was trading at 11.63 times earnings. Today, it's trading at over 32 times earnings and growing significantly slower. The vast majority of these gains in market value came from that multiple growing, and that growth happened during a time where passive investing grew significantly in popularity. So, maybe Apple is valued appropriately and this close to three times increase in valuation is justified because prospects are so much better. Our analysts disagree and believe it's 22% overvalued.
1: Okay. So, I have an interesting fact about Apple for you, Shawnee. Okay. Go on. Actually, I have two interesting facts. Okay. One is about you.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: And then the other is about Apple, but they're both related. Okay. So, Shawnee had a watch. So, she went to Apple and bought a, <laughs> and bought a watch. And- it was a gift. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was a gift. <laughs>
0: but I have it, yes.
1: But, but she stopped wearing it because she claimed that it was taking over her life. It was. Because she was very competitive and was trying to walk all the time and she has now taken off this watch.
0: Yeah, I'm a very competitive person and it kept telling me that I wasn't doing well enough with my steps and standing up all the time. And yeah, I just kind of my life started revolving around this watch.
1: Right. So as a very competitive person, <laughs> you literally gave up just by yeah. taking this thing off. But anyway,
0: some would say I won. You, you won. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. Shawnee has defeated Apple, I guess. Um, but I've, I have another interesting fact about Apple. Okay. Go and on. so do you know in January, so January of 2021, in the five sessions before Apple's earnings report, it gained $256 billion in value. And that is, uh, that is more than what Coca-Cola is worth, for example. Um. I thought that was interesting.
0: That is very interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, the first fact I think was more interesting about you and your watch. But anyway, <laughs> let's, uh, let's take a step back and look at, it. we used Apple as an example, but let's look at what happened to overall markets in the past 10 years. So large cap U.S. growth stocks have done fantastically and they literally pulled the market higher and Almost everything else has trailed. So if we look at some index returns, the S&P 500 represents the 500 largest stocks in the U.S., the largest of which are the largest stocks in the world. And this is a market capitalization-weighted index. And the total return in U.S. dollars over the past 10 years has been 192%. So that would outpace an equal weight index when the same amount is invested in all 500 shares. And so an equal weighted index came in at 179%. A small cap U.S. index, which represents the smallest stocks in the U.S., came in at 181%. And if we look overseas, um, the MSCI global index, XUS, not including U.S., excluding all those U.S. stocks, returned only 24%.
0: So we've talked before about increased concentration in indexes, but it's worth repeating. If we take a look at the S&P 500 index, five companies make up 22.14% of the 500 company index. The smallest 360 companies make up approximately the same amount. Even if we just look at Apple, Apple makes up 6.7% of this index. Second to this is Microsoft at 5.4%, Amazon at 4.3%, Google at 3.7% and Facebook at 1.9%. Individually, each of these companies are bigger than four of the 11 sectors in the index, utilities, materials, real estate, and energy. Closer to home with the ASX 200, the top 10 holdings make up 45% of the index. As of about the 22nd of March, and you'll see that the big four banks make up 29% of the index. So we're seeing a similar trend where the top stocks have outsized impact on the returns that you receive.
1: I feel like every time we go through something that involves a lot of percentages, you're the one that does it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I think that's on purpose.
1: Like like this is a plan by me?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's very difficult to say, to go through all those numbers.
1: Okay. Well... (laughs) You're a competitive person, though. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So um, we've talked about concentration within large stocks and certain industries, but we also have concentration in a very specific style of investing, and that's growth investing. So when we're speaking about growth versus value, we're speaking about methods of investing. And this could be an entirely separate episode, but we'll put it in its simplest form. Stocks are divided into growth and value by ranking stocks by certain valuation measures. So Price-to-earnings is one of them, price-to-book, price-to-cash-flow, etc. So less expensive stocks that are typically slower growing, they fall in the value category. More expensive stocks that are typically faster growing, they fall in the growth category. So there was this very famous study done in 1992 by Fama and French, and they looked at the impact of different factors on overall market returns. So this study found that value stocks – outperform on a regular basis. And we aren't going to spend too much time on this study because once again, it could be a whole episode. But we can say that market returns since the GFC have gone in the opposite direction from returns overall of history. And the ones, of course, that were studied by Fama and French. So over the past 10 years, growth stocks have outperformed value by almost 6% per year. And so naturally, in a market capitalization weighted index, gross stocks have grown in size and influence on overall market returns.
0: So passive investors are probably listening to all of this and thinking, so what? Investing passively has worked well, so what's the point of changing an approach? And we agree with that. Investing passively has worked well, and the last thing that either of us is trying to say is that passive investing is a bad thing. In fact, for many investors, we think it's the best approach. But we want you to be educated about what's in your portfolio. And we believe that being educated about what's in your portfolio will allow you to more rationally interpret what happens with your portfolio. The hope is that when the market goes south, like it inevitably will let some point, you'll be better placed to resist panicking and selling.
1: Yeah, because I think the word, like, Shani, the issue is right. The word passive implies that you are not taking any sort of position, but that actually isn't the case. So given the current makeup of all these indexes, by investing passively, you're taking an outsized position in the largest stocks that have grown to represent a historically outsized portion of these indexes. And you're also taking an outsized position globally in technology and communications sector, which include many of these giant companies that Shani was talking about with her percentages. And then finally, you're taking an outsized position in growth stocks thanks to an almost unprecedented run of outperformance over value.
0: Now, this isn't necessarily a good or bad thing, but it's also naive to not consider the fact that as a global passive investor, you're taking an outsized position in large cap growth companies. As an Aussie passive investor, you're taking an outsized position in large cap banking and resource companies.
1: Yeah. So if you are an active investor, you also need to consider the way your portfolio is positioned. So whether you're investing using active managers or picking individual stocks, you need to consider how the market will behave in a sell-off. With passive investors making up an ever-increasing amount of of all investors, you need to consider what happens when they stop buying and start selling. So just as passive investors buying has led to continued momentum in the return of certain stocks, large-cap tech and communications growth stocks basically – Passive selling will have a disproportionate negative impact on the same stocks. So just if we go back to that Apple example, it represents 6.7% of the S&P 500 right now, which means that 6.7% of any passive money that's pulled out of the market will come out of Apple. And given the valuation levels of the company, which Shawnee said our analysts think is 22% overvalued, it might be a while before active investors step in and stop the slide in the stock.
0: We obviously can't tell you what to do, but there are large cap, if there are large cap growth stocks that you think are great companies, and many of them are great companies. It might be good to start making a wish list because a significant market sell off could create some real bargains. So just as passive investors blindly bought these stocks on the way up, they'll blindly sell them on the way down, regardless of their prospects. The other thing to consider as an investor is what if the same thing happens on the way down as the way up? Remember that since COVID started, an estimated 96% of returns came from around 15 stocks in the S&P 500. We could see a drop in index levels that is driven by falls in a relatively narrow slice of the market, with most stocks falling far less than the index. Finally, consider what would happen if we see a rotation from growth to value.
1: Yeah, and and this scenario is not unprecedented. So in the late 90s, six of the largest 10 firms in terms of market capitalization were in technology or telecom. So Intel, Cisco, Microsoft, IBM, Lucent, Oracle. So today, five of the largest 10 firms by market capitalization are in technologies or communications, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft. Same thing, right, So. And the one thing I guess that's interesting is Microsoft is is in both of those lists.
0: Yeah, exactly right. So, investors should remember that growth and value do go through cycles. The value factor's demise was also proclaimed in the 1990s when the new economy was being created. Noted value, investors gave up waiting and retired. Then after the bubble burst, value trounced growth for years. So, in 2000, the Morningstar US Value Index gained 10%, while the Morningstar US Growth Index lost 28%. Value suffered far less than growth in the early 2000s bear market. It outpaced growth during the rally of 2003 to 2007, and it lost less in 2008.
1: And and the question, Shani, is are we starting to see a rotation? So from October to February, European and emerging markets have risen over 20%, and US mid-caps are up 35%. And then if we look at some key cyclical sectors like financials and energy, financials are up 32%, energy stocks are up 51%. And what's been lagging? Well, tech, at least comparatively. So up 14 to 16%. If we look at the NASDAQ 100, or the global IT sector. So although that's still an impressive return, it's underperforming compared to traditional value stocks and could indicate the start of a rotation.
0: So to sum this episode up, we spoke a little bit about the risks of passive investing for passive investors. Passive funds have often been seen as a cure-all diversifier, but we've seen that that's far from the truth, with market cap-weighted indexes being extremely concentrated in five or less companies in both the US and Australia.
1: Yeah, and we're certainly not saying you should withdraw your money from your funds. It's just as Shani said earlier, be cognizant of the fact that um, the highs have been high. And of course, the lows are going to be low when the market inevitably turns. So hopefully understanding a little bit more about the underlying assets will add a little more understanding to the behavior of your investments.
0: So if there's a takeaway from this, it's that large cap growth companies will go on sale after a market downturn. So make a wish list in case of a significant market sell-off, especially as we see a potential rotation from growth to value.
1: All right. So thank you very much for joining us today. We would love any suggestions for episodes or feedback for the podcast, which you can send to the email in the episode notes. And if you got something really nice to say, we would love a rating and review. So that's it, Shani.